cool. <clears throat> this morning, before we uh, jump into the sermon, we're, we're on week three of a sermon series of a five-week sermon series on stories. And if you remember the first week, we just talked about the power of story, that Jesus used parables to, to kind of get behind people so that if they had any walls put up, stories have a way of breaking those walls down where we can find ourselves in the story and go, well, maybe he's not really talking about me. And you walk away sometime later and go, oh, that was 100% about me. I see what he's trying to do there, and you start to wrestle with stories in that way. So stories are powerful. And then last week, we looked at this opportunity we have to be part of God's bigger, better story, that God is writing a story. You and I get to participate in the story that he's writing that started back in the beginning and continues on and continues on, and we get to be participants in the story and helping write that story. It's not that just we, we come along and live our life, and then God says, eh, not, not that interesting, but that he is writing it and he involves us. He involves us. And we looked at the divine flow coming out of, out of God, that we can be a part of that divine flow. We looked at that last week. And this week, what we want to do is start to look at you telling your individual story. What is your unique individual story? What is God writing in you? What story is God writing in you. And, and to start having kind of a discernment process of how do we look at our lives and see the times where God has, has undeniably been present in our lives so that we can share that with others. That's this morning. What I want to do, though, is I want to start um, by, by praying together that God would just kind of open our eyes and start the process of self-reflection even now as we start to look and unpack our own lives and, and look at the way that God has been present, that we would have kind of a renewed sense of openness even this morning as the sermon begins to the idea that God is in fact trying to work with us, is working with us. So I wanna, I'm just going to invite you to, to kind of with a posture of open hands and openness, a sign of openness to God as we pray, just saying that I am willing, God, I'm submitting to you, God, I'm willing to believe that you are trying to interact with me, and this is not like a mumbo jumbo. Um, this is just, we're, we're just showing a sign of we are open to God, open to Him working in and through us. So if you would just do this, uh, sit with palms open, even on your lap, a relaxed state, let's pray. God, we do believe that you are present, not just in this place, not just in creation and the world around us. But you are present in our lives, Lord. You have breathed life into us. We have the opportunity, your scripture says, that if we come to know you, to have your spirit come and live in us. And Lord, if these things are true, we, we pray, God, that this morning we would cultivate an awareness of you, your presence in our lives, that maybe we've never done before. That as we hear from your word this morning, we would have an awesome sense that you are present, you are working, you have a story to tell in and through our lives. Make us aware of your presence this morning, Lord, in a new and powerful way, we pray. Amen. So I was reading a book not too long ago, a friend of mine that had done a lot of ministry, he had lived in Lebanon for seven years and done a lot of ministry with the Muslim community, he turned me on to a book by a guy named Carl Medeiros, and it's called Speaking of Jesus, The Art of Not Evangelism. 
And in this book, something caught me where he was basically saying, you have a job. The job you have been given is to be the witness. That is your job. Be the witness. Not the judge. We have a judge. Be the witness. He said in the book, you're not responsible to sell Jesus. You're simply saying what you've seen. You're not the judge. You're the witness. Elsewhere in the book, he talked about uh, as he would interact with people, because really what, what his passion was to see the Muslim community come to know Jesus. And so he'd have to train people like you and me to interact with people who had no sense of who Jesus was or who thought they knew everything about Jesus from previous interactions with Christians. So he'd have to teach them not to lead with doctrine, but to lead with their story and to lead with Jesus. So, so you have a job, you are the witness. Don't lead with doctrine, lead with Jesus. That's the basic premise of where I want to go this morning, where we want to go this morning. What I want to do, though, is I want to work through John chapter 9, and then I'm going to pass it off to Matt, and he's going to work, uh, he, he's going to, it's like, it's like I'm going to lob the softball up there, and he's going to hit the home run. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe a bad metaphor. I'm a baseball guy, so there you go. And if, uh, anyway, I'm just going to keep going. I, so John chapter 9, I love this story. I'm going to be looking at 1 through 35. I'm not going to read the whole thing now because I'm going to read it as we go along. So if you guys want to follow along, uh, link in back there with bits and pieces that I read, that would be great. Otherwise, I encourage you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 9, uh, get it open on your phone as I go through so you can see where I'm at in the text. Just want to work through it. I think this is an amazing story, an amazing example of someone in the Bible who took on the task of saying, my job is to be a witness who keeps pointing at Jesus. Before this man even understood who Jesus was, his job in this text was to be a witness. This is my story. This is my story. This is my story. That guy did it. That guy did it. That guy did it. So here we go. Ready for this? John chapter 9. Let's go through the text. It says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world." And after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. And now here's where things get interesting. Here's where we have this opportunity. Now this man has been healed, and he starts to do the job of the witness, always pointing to Jesus. His neighbors, this is verse 8, picking up in verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he was. Others said, No, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am that guy. I'm the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. 
I want to stop right here. Here's his first opportunity to be the witness. First opportunity. And it's interesting to me, and we see this throughout Scripture. First opportunity, people come, a life has been changed, and they say, I'm not so sure you're actually that same guy because your life has been so dramatically changed. You are a completely different person after having met with Jesus. Isn't that an interesting thing? There's stories throughout the text, if you read other stories, of people who have been healed, miraculous healings, they go back to their community, and people are a little bit afraid of this. They're like, no, 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 you're not the same person, you've obviously been changed, I'm a little bit afraid of this, I don't really like this situation. It's kind of funny, I mean, he's got some chuckles, right, of people going like, there's no way this is the same guy. You can't, he just looks like him. He has his doppelganger here hanging out. Like, no way that you're the same guy who was begging on the side of the road for years. It's his own neighbors who were like, "Uh uh-uh, there's no way. And the man is insisting, yes, it's me. I'm that guy. He tells the story. He's the witness. He doesn't lead with doctrine. He doesn't lead with, well, you know this guy, Jesus, I've heard this. No, he just says, this is what happened. This guy, and it's fascinating, this guy they call Jesus, that, that's all he gives them. The guy they call Jesus put mud on my eyes and told me to go and wash it away. Then I could see. It's his first chance to be a witness. That's it. There's no faith claims. He doesn't say, man, this guy, Jesus, this is all the things I've heard about him. He seems pretty important. It's obviously, you know, he's, he's miraculous. He's sent from God. He just says, hey, this guy they call Jesus came by and made me see. This is what happened. This is my story at this point. That's all I've got. He tells his story. He points to Jesus. Let's pick the text up again in verse 13. Verse 13. So they bring him to the Pharisees. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. And the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. And I washed, and now I see. Again, how did this happen? How did this happen? Let me tell you my story. He put mud on my eyes. This guy did it. Some of the Pharisees asked, this man is not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. That's the end of verse 16. They were divided because the Pharisees now have a problem. This man is telling his story and he's saying that there's a guy named Jesus came along, changed my life, gave me sight. They are in a bit of a theological pretzel here, a brain pretzel going on here, if you can imagine. Because obviously, they're, they're, they're just in this pickle that if they say, okay, so this guy Jesus made him able to see Only people from God could be able to make somebody see, but he also broke the rules by doing this on the Sabbath, so they are now in this big pickle, and they don't know what to do. They really don't know what to do. So then in verse 17, what do they do? They go back to the man. They turned again to the blind man. Tell What do you have to say about this guy? It was your eyes he opened, and the man replies, he's a prophet, so you start to see the, own, the journey, the faith journey, if you will, of the man born blind. I don't know, this guy Jesus did it. The guy you all call Jesus did this to me. And now as they press him further, he says he is a prophet. 
another opportunity to witness, another opportunity to point to Jesus. The man has moved from everyone says Jesus is a special guy to he must be a prophet sent from God. And if you're not up on Bible speak, let's just unpack this word prophet really, really quickly. This is a big deal that he says this man is a prophet. This would be a big deal for the Pharisees because what he's saying essentially is that this man is a representative of God. The prophets were sent by God with a message from God to the people of God. They were God's spokesmen. They were God's spokespeople. And here you have now this man saying, this guy Jesus must be a prophet He must be from God. And this is not well received by the Pharisees because this sort of witness, the story this guy is telling, let me tell you again what happened. This guy, Jesus, he came by. He made me able to see he must be a prophet sent from God. This is not helping them. So what do the Pharisees do? They bring in another witness. They bring in the parents. I love this part. Verse 18 Verse 18, they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight because what? They couldn't believe that. They can't believe that because it's a problem for them theologically. It's a problem for their faith. It's a problem for their power as religious authorities. So they still don't believe he had been born blind, had received his sight until they sent for the man's, uh, for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? And the parents answer, I love this. We know he is our son, and we know he was born blind. But now, how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this, and this is fascinating, because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So his parents said, he's of age, ask him. You're starting to see what they're up against here. Anybody who tells the story, who says Jesus did this, who tells their story of Jesus miraculously healing them, of Jesus being the Messiah, of Jesus being somebody important, they are up against being kicked out of their community. And so people are afraid now. There's some fear going around because at this point in the story, things are getting ramped up and the Jewish leaders are not so happy with Jesus. That's a a, a light way of saying not so happy with this Jesus guy. But they don't know what to do because Jesus keeps healing people. And people keep having these experiences where they say, this is what Jesus did. He's amazing. This is what Jesus did in my life. He's amazing. And they don't know what to do with that because it's hard to refute someone's personal experience. It's really hard. Even if you want to, it's really hard when somebody says, this is my experience. God changed my life in this moment. I have no other reason to, I I can't point to anything else, but at this moment in my life, my life was changed, and the only thing I can give credit to is God. That's hard to refute. Somebody can simply ignore that. They can say, I don't want to believe it. I don't want to hear that. But it's not a matter of wrestling over doctrine or, or wrestling over faith discrepancies or things that we may or may not believe. It's a matter of saying, this is what happened to me. And if you will hear me, Just hear my story for what it is, and then you do with it what you will. 
And so they're in this, this really hard thing here where the Pharisees are hearing that this guy has been, his life has been changed. Another person's life has been changed by Jesus. <sighs> and the Pharisees are not digging this so much. Let's bring in another witness. Let's try to figure this out. Let's try to figure this out. But the parents leave the scene. They're like, uh-uh, ask him. So verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. The man born blind replies, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And they asked him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've already told you and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And here's where he gets in a load of trouble. Do you want to become his disciples too? (laughs) Isn't this great? This guy, he's got a little gusto going on, you know? He can see now and he's like, what? Let's let's tell the story. Let's go a little bit. Let's go with this. Like, what, maybe you guys want to follow this guy too? He seems pretty cool, you know? The guy called Jesus now. He's a prophet. And oh, maybe now this is somebody worth following. Verse 28, they hurled insults at him. You are this fellow's disciple. We are the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this guy, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, here we go again. That's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Whoa. Telling the story again. Hey, just let me lay it out for you. I don't know who this guy is. I don't know if he's a prophet. I don't know if he's really from God. Let's not argue about doctrine. Let's just put the facts on the table. This is my story. I was blind. This guy came along. Now I can see Seems like he'd be pretty important if he's able to do that. What do you guys think? And the Pharisees say, if you were steeped in sin at birth, how dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Isn't this what us religious people do when something uncomfortable happens? Like, oh no, we might have to deal with this uncomfortable fact. This person's telling a story that might be a little bit uncomfortable. Let's just get angry and yell and then they'll just have to leave. That'll be better. One more chance for this guy, though, to point to Jesus, to be a witness. The man consistently says over and over again, I don't know exactly who this guy is yet. I'm not sure if this guy's really from God, if this guy Jesus. I I just don't know. All I know is this. I was blind. Now I can see. That's my testimony. That's my story. This guy, Jesus, came by. He put mud on my eyes, and now I can see. And that's it. It's that simple. This guy, Jesus, came, and he had a profound impact on my life. And that's my story. He leaves it at that. You do with it what you will. My story is that God came, Jesus came. He had an impact on my life. I was blind, now I can see, that's it. He's a perfect example of someone, someone like you or I, when pressed about events in his life, kept 
things as simple as possible. Let's not get into arguing about doctrine. Let's just tell our stories. This is my story. This is my song. This is what I got. There's undeniable places in my life where, where Jesus was, was present, where something happened as a result of my faith in him. And you do with it what you will, but that's what I've got. That's what I'm leading with. Jesus, my job is to be a witness. Final thing I want to share, and then and Matt's going to come up here and, and bring it home. Last week I mentioned Donald Miller who wrote the book Blue Like Jazz and he has this quote that I want to leave you with. He says, a good storyteller doesn't just tell a better story. He invites other people into the story, giving them a better story too. I like to believe that as this man born blind went away, him telling his story to his whole community, to his neighbors, to anybody who would listen, he was inviting them into the better story. He was inviting them to go, you should figure out who Jesus is too because he did this to me. He changed my life. And we have that opportunity as well. As we tell our stories, we get to bring others in. As we tell our stories and always point to Jesus, we bring others in and give them the opportunity now to respond to Jesus. Come on up, Matt. <laughs> So uh, when I was in high school, I, I kind of had a lot of awesome faith experiences, but I've always had in my life, um, God has always been a part of my life. I, I was raised in a Christian home and had a number of experiences in churches, but when I, I was 17, I had an opportunity to go to Brazil. And one of the things I had to do in preparation for going to Brazil was I had to prepare my testimony. I had to prepare my story, like, and, and the way they always say it is that in, in the church, we always use this word testimony. And what that means is, when was that time where you had this miraculous, incredible conversion from your drug-addicted self and came and knew Jesus? And I, I was like, well, um, uh, I, I, that's not my story. How do I share a story? How do, I, how do I make my story interesting enough to tell? I mean, I'm going to Brazil. Like, I got to have something awesome. Like, I got to be the American savior or something. You know, like, what is that? I don't know. And, and what I came to find through that journey is that my story was actually an incredible story, not of simply doing the things that God um, that, that God had transformed in miraculous and incredible ways, but it was actually a story of God's steadfast faithfulness to me in all of the things that I was learning and doing. You see, I, I love the story of this blind man because the blind man, in fact, almost doesn't believe his story himself the first time he says it, Right? He says, that guy, Jesus, did this. The next time he's a prophet, the next time you want to follow him and be his disciple too, he's almost a disciple. Each time he recounts his story, it's, it's better and better. He buys it more. He believes it more. And the, and the truth is that your story is not a, a, an invitation to make up something incredible that happened to you. None of us want that for our kids. You know, we, we want them to know and love Jesus. So, the, the result was, I, I felt like I had a boring story. I felt like my, 
my story of who God was wasn't interesting enough to share. Because I was, I was con- conditioned in the church and everybody always asked me, when was the day you believed? When, when was that time you came to faith? And, and I, I always struggled with, well, how do I fit into this? How do I, how do I share those things? And what I found in this really incredible way is that my story of steadfast faithfulness is equally as powerful, if not more so, simply because it's mine. It's out of my experiences. It's out of my heart. It's out of my life. And so as I talk about the struggles of my dad having cancer, so as I talk about the struggles of wanting to fit in in high school, as I talk about the struggle of being feeling like I was called to ministry, as I, as I talk about those struggles in my life, I look back and they're not struggles. They're ways that God actually showed up in my life in miraculous ways that were incredible. Um, you were this witness. You, you were the witness. You, you get to be the witness. And I think that there's this incredible part um, right after what Chad was looking at in, in verse 35. And I have a little bit different version. You're welcome to follow along. But it says, Jesus heard that they had put him out. So they, they cast him out. They're like, fine. If you want to advocate for Jesus, get out. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now Jesus is asking, do you believe that the, the Son of Man, that, that term is, is kind of implying this, uh, this idea of a person who is coming to save and to redeem as God's advocate in, in the world, as the Messiah. Do you believe in the Messiah? And he answered him, who is he, Lord? Who is he? He still doesn't know. He's told his story three times. It almost looks like he was following Jesus. He doesn't even know that Jesus is the Messiah yet. Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. You have seen him. That's a big deal. This guy's never seen anything before. You've seen the Messiah. His story then translates into faith. Him sharing his story translates into his own faith. And us sharing our story translates into our own faith. But it also acts as a witness to others. We get to be the witness. And uh, there's this, there's this uh, friend that we have in our life. And she's actually more, more my wife's friend. But we've come to know her um, as an incredible person. She, she's this incredible person. Her name's Kendra, and she loves, she loves kids. She's in grad school for clinical psychology, like just loves working with kids and seeing them and helping them and guiding them along, and um, she doesn't know Jesus. She doesn't know Jesus, and she kind of grew up in this Buddhist faith tradition, but uh, I have a really good friend who's a pastor of another church, and he met her when they were both working at Cheesecake Factory. And my wife met her working at a school, and now she, she's kind of become this constant figure in both of our lives, in the lives of two families of pastors. And so we've ganged up on her. 
And, uh, and it's really funny to me as we've ganged up on her, what, what the things she says are, are things that actually make my heart filled with joy simply because we've said, you are our friend. And, and my wife, even more so than I in this, but you're our friend. And so we live life beside her. And we invite her into our things. Uh, this last, last week, she came to our church. And, um, and she posted on Facebook before she came to church. She said, uh, and, and I'm, this is not a direct quote because she uses some colorful language. Um, but, but she says, when a two-year-old asks you to bring him to Sunday school, you get your heathen butt out of bed and you go to church. Yeah. I think that's pretty incredible. My two-year-old story, his joy of talking about Jesus and of wanting Kendra as a part of his life has invited her into a place where she can hear more about God's story. You sharing your story does not have to be profound. My two-year-old story is not profound. My story is not profound, but as we get to sit with her and be with her, we say, what is your faith story? And so my wife got this incredible opportunity last week to ask her, tell me about what you believe. Who, who is God to you? What, what does this make look like to you? And the story of us the story of Christ in us, the story of her, the story of how God has placed these two pastors' families next to her to where we are leveraging everything we can. She told her boyfriend before um, she came to church, she said, don't you feel a little bit like, I mean, it's, it's weird that they're trying to get you to go to church. And she's like, well, if you think about it from their perspective, my eternal destiny is at stake. So it's actually kind of sweet. I never would have imagined that out of her mouth. Now, where her faith journey goes and how God continues to show up and what those things look like in her life, I don't know. But man, I'm praying for her. And I'm not going to be afraid to share my story with her. To ask her to come when I preach or to ask her to bring our kid to Sunday school so she gets to experience worship. I'm not going to be afraid of that. Because in the end, it's God's job to do the work in her heart. It's my job to share my story. I'm not the judge. I'm the witness. I simply get to say, this is what God has done in my life. And this is why it is so incredible. I want to end uh, our time this morning with a prayer. Uh, and in the church, there's this thing called the prayer of examine. And we're not going to do a whole thing, but if you're interested in, in this type of exercise, you can certainly look up more about it. But essentially what it means is that we're going to pray and ask God to reveal to us our story. And it's a simple task of looking back at our day, even so far, 
and looking back and saying, oh, God was in that moment. Oh, well, I don't know why that person said that encouraging thing to me there, but man, that touched my heart. I think God was in that. I needed that right then. God used that person. So it's simply a prayer of inviting our own reflection to story so that we can reveal it and share it with others. So let's pray. Father God, we are your people. And we are at different places in our faith journeys. There may be some here who have no or little to no experience with you whatsoever. You might be saying, I don't really get this. And there may be people here, and there certainly are, who have dedicated years and years of their lives to this church, to your community, to your work. And God, I beg of you to show us this day the ways in which we are missing you. Open our eyes. Settle in our hearts. Lord, this morning as we woke up, you were there. Take a moment and reflect on how busy you are. How concerned you were with getting dressed and looking right to come to church. Where was God? Was he in that moment when you walked in and somebody smiled at you or when my son came running into me this morning and said, where's daddy? Where's daddy? For those moments in which God is restoring and refreshing your soul. And as we go from this place, Father, we ask that you would continue to allow us to be aware of your presence so that we can share the story of how you engage with us in our lives. Pray this in your name. Amen.